0: I have, you know, a huge body of prolific, what, like 40,000 photos. And in the very early stages, I might well have been one of those people that would have said, well, your water has to be conforming and, and, and adhering to our consciousness for this to be plausible whatsoever. How could it possibly have a sovereign voice that would shatter all paradigms? Because that doesn't seem logical because of the way we see water with a very mechanistic view. But I, the more I've done this work, I I see water as, yes, it can communicate. Okay, so my name is Veda Austin. I am a water researcher from New Zealand. I have been studying the, what we might say, the life of water for the past 10 years. Um, And essentially, my area of expertise is in crystallography. So I am photographing frozen ice, frozen at a very specific stage, after it's been influenced by something specific. And what I'm identifying is that whatever the influence was, uh, the water in its liquid stage appears to be able to um, kind of absorb that information and then crystallize into the shape of the thing that was the influence. For example, maybe I think of a hand or I use a picture of a person's face as an influence and then I might see a hand in the ice or that person's face in the ice. And I have over, actually coming close to 40,000 photos of water responding in this way. So I'm best known for, for this type of work. And we're just starting to figure out on more of a quantum level how this is working uh, as well as i share my technique globally so now there, there are hundreds and hundreds of people also doing this seeing this work so it's it's quite exciting um so that's kind of a little bit about me and what i do
1: beautiful thank you for that and uh uh, looking a little bit into your uh, research on YouTube and uh, watching some videos, I think the uh, what I picked up is uh, water cliffs is the main main uh, topic or the what you're uh, researching. And uh, please uh, tell me how it all came to be. Sure. Uh, well,
0: actually, I'd say that I, I found using this technique that water, if you if you will, kind of. Uh, go with the flow with this word, if water kind of communicates, if you will, Um, in three ways. I would say that the first way is signature patterns. So each type of water has a specific pattern. For example, tap water, the structures in the ice look very disordered. Spring water tends to form what I call a star hexagon. Essentially, it kind of looks like a star shape with burns off each kind of leg that form a hexagon. Rainwater looks like a curved fan uh, and filtered water, for example, looks like a bunch of lines all kind of packed together. Um, so you know the type of water you have based on the patterns it might show you. And I say that art is the heart of water. So water can design through artistic means, uh, like many people know my work from that. But then the other thing, third way is called hydroglyphs, and I'm getting a, a, a bit more attention with that because I've had a lot of repeatability with it. Um, so, so say I have got one hydroglyph, and a hydroglyph is essentially a symbol in ice that is the energy of a word. So why is it the energy of a word and not a word? Well, that's because water doesn't read words, but it absorbs the energy of words and so I will write a word, put my petri dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds, remove it, freeze it my using my short-term method, which is approximately five minutes and twenty seconds where there is liquid on top and ice underneath, and that depends on your freezer setting and stuff. And then you tip the liquid away and you photograph the remaining ice. And what you see should be the same symbol each time you use that word. So say I have one, I had to have seen it at least 50 times. And what we've discovered is that these hydroglyphs have layers of meaning. So we found, for example, that the word imagination, which is the empty star, that's what it looks like. It's like an empty star, has a number of layers of meaning. The other meanings are um, light and hope and guidance. So you, you, start, you And to get each one of those, I need to have used those uh, words and seen the symbol appear 50 times for each word. So it's taken me close to five years now uh, to have identified approximately 37 hydroglyphs, but their layers of meaning are what has taken up s- such a lot of time as well. So... When I presented this at the uh, annual water conference in Germany in October last year, uh, I was the last speaker. Um, And when you see 64 glyphs all together, and you see, oh, yes, they are the same symbol. We can see the same symbol. Um, I would not say that anything uh, in nature is identical. And I'm never really looking for it absolute identical things, but they are certainly the same and recognizable. So in some cases you could almost overlay them and they might be perfect, but often it's as if um, water water from different sources seems to have its own handwriting. So if you and I were to write in English um, the word water, for example, you would be able to read my hopefully you'd be able to read my word and I'd be able to read your word. Uh, it's kind of like that with hydroglyphs. We can read the same. It's, okay, that's the lotus glyph. That's the free energy glyph. So they're very, very recognizable, but they're not identical, which is exactly what you would imagine would be the case because even twins, they're not identical. Even if they're identical twins, there's some little thing. Personality-wise, there's often a huge difference. So um, so that's a very, very interesting thing. And, and so what we're seeing is this idea that it's not just English I mean I I speak English so I'm I'm communicating in the language that I think in and write in and speak in Uh, but we've had other people from different cultures uh, using those words and see um, these same symbols show up so it's it's a very interesting phenomena that's happening and um, I have someone who is a quantum physicist who is writing a paper about it at the moment, tried to explain how it works. Um I'm presenting the work and so um I can't I can't I have a lot of ideas around how it's working. Uh, but I also think the question needs to kind of come into play of what is water. And I, I think that's a big question that needs to you know, it's people have a, to take a deep dive into it to find out what is water to you, given that by molecular count, not by volume, we're 99% water. And in another analogy, that would be that we have more water molecules in our body than stars in the Milky Way, trillions and trillions and trillions. So we are taught in schools how much carbon we are, but actually we have so much water You know, we're only a cut away from leaking, an emotion away from leaking, an exercise away from leaking, a toilet break away from leaking, a bunch of other stuff away from leaking. And yet we see ourselves with our fourth base water eyes, because our eye lens is 99% water. We actually see the entire world through the lens of water, and yet we think of our bodies as so solid. So when asking the question, what is water, I think that it's very important to perhaps move a little bit away from just seeing what water holds you know from this idea that water is h2o and that it has a bunch of things that it's collected on its journey in it so when we look at an analysis we're looking at does it have heavy metals does it have bicarb does it how much how much total dissolved solids does it have but if you realize that that's what water's holding so what what is it that is water and so it could well be and this might sound crazy to some people but after doing all of this work for so long and seeing that water is responding as opposed to reacting uh, then I, I just think that water is kind of like an emotion uh, when we try and explain what emotions are as human beings we have to explain uh, like facial figure. Reactions to things like, oh, I look, I smile when I'm happy, I frown when I'm uh, annoyed, you know, all these different things that we kind of have expressions for as human beings. Uh, But we also have that internal feeling that comes with the emotion. But we don't see emotions outside of an expression on someone's face or an energy that they might put out. That's not something tangible in our world where we're going maybe by an emotion. Or we're we'll like, just, oh, here's a look. Look at my emotion. Here it is. So we, don't, we can't do that. But it might well be that this fluid water that's running in the streams and the rivers and it's in the rain and um, lakes and, and oceans could literally be a, a liquid emotion. Because what I'm seeing in my crystallography really um, is what I call an energetic state of health which is sort of like an emotion. And the reason I say that is because I understand signature patterns, which is why I said learning that is very important. Because if you don't know what the signature pattern of the water you're working with is, you're not going to know if it's changed. So when you're using municipal tap water, and I'm specifically talking about municipal tap water, rather than the water we have here, which is actually rainwater that comes from our tanks and out of our tap. So... Municipal tap water is a, has a very disordered uh, structure. But it's very important. So tap water gets a really bad rap, mainly just because um, you know, has, it has so much in it that we don't want to drink and then we have to filter it. So I'm not talking about tap water for drinking, but I'm talking about tap water that is teaching us something and that something is that because when you know its structural pattern And then, for example, maybe um, you then let that water melt and then you put the water um, close to your heart and hold it for one minute in a loving way. Um, Or maybe you put it into a small singing bowl and play the bowl. Or maybe you play a song or maybe you do just something nice and then you put it back into the freezer and refreeze that water and then photograph the crystallography, you'll see a really big change has happened structurally, but it hasn't changed chemically. So what that means is we're seeing water behaving as if it's emotional. You know, it's a very, very interesting thing to observe because the more you study water, the more it feels like you're studying what it is to be a living being. it, it, it runs through all life it's the connecting force it's the it's like the life um force energy or the life blood energy um and it it's very much you know I, I have a friend uh, called Kalani Souza he's a Hawaiian elder and he says that water is not a resource it's a relative and I say that water is not a resource it is source so when you just start looking at this, unusual um, thing that we call water and realize that we know so little about it which really overlays into the idea that maybe we know so little of our own potential Um, and so that's a very extended version I'm happy to talk about how I um, who inspired me to start this work if you like and just a little bit about my own journey
1: <clears throat> yeah, that would be good. But just to, uh, on the topics of the 37 Cliffs, um, two episodes ago I talked with uh, Michiko Hayashi, who is uh, running the Emoto Peace Project. And uh, there we talked about, um, or she mentioned that uh, one of the most beautiful crystals came out of the words uh, love and gratitude. And uh, I know in your own experience, you have that uh, gratitude and that water relation. So could you please please uh, share about that gratitude and water?
0: The hydroglyph um, for gratitude is also the, um, the 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 living glyph. So it, it's quite interesting because um, the living glyph is a very beautiful um, a, a, An identifiable hydroglyph, which looks very much like um, the spring glyph, the, the glyph that comes from spring water, or the image that comes from spring water. It's really the same. They're the same. So when spring water forms, it's actually forming it into an original glyph. So these are like original blueprints. So it's very interesting that when I started to identify living in gratitude, um, they look very, very um, much, well, they're identical to this, the, the uh, pattern of spring water, which is the star with the ferns coming off each leg and this kind of um, hexagonal pattern. And so we've identified that it means living and gratitude. Interestingly, it has a, a bit of a, a, a another meaning. Um, and that other meaning uh, is, um, is it might surprise some people, but it's, it's death. And some years ago, a man was reached out to me, and he said, "You know, I've um, I was given only three months to live, and I really want you to find out what death means. If you would please do that for me." And so I did, and I wrote the word death. And I mean, he wanted to know how water would respond to that word. Um, so I wrote the word. I don't always write words, but for hydroglyphs, I I keep it consistent. Um, And so I kept seeing the living glyph appear, and I was like, what's going on here? You know, surely this may be a different glyph, but I kept seeing it, I kept seeing it, and kept seeing it. And I don't do these glyphs all in a row. I'm not in a cold room either, so I'm actually doing everything in my kitchen. So anybody can do this. And I have to take photos fast because the ice melts really quick. So you know you've got a glyph because you're only getting one or two photos of it. I can't pick the best ones to show anybody. So so I kept seeing this glyph. And eventually, after doing it more than 50 times and seeing this living glyph um, appear, when I used the word death, I realized, of course, water doesn't die. We love to label things as human beings, but actually it appears that the, um, the water is showing us that its perspective of death is actually not our perspective of death, not everybody's. So water doesn't die. We tend to say it's dead if it's polluted or if it's denatured or structured. We might say that, but water will always evaporate. It reincarnates all the time for us to see. And yet, we tend to forget about that. Even um, you know, even when you imagine that when when something when someone dies, eventually the water evaporates out of the body. Even when somebody's cremated, the water will evaporate. It's the salts that remain. Actually, ashes are salts, and that's another interesting piece to the work. Is that I never use distilled water. I've I've used it to see what it does, but in my Everyday work, I don't use it because I believe that it's the salts that actually help to store the information, help water store information for longer. It's one of the reasons that I use glass dishes and not plastic because essentially glass is made of silica and silica is a type of crystal and it helps the water to store information for longer. When I use plastic dishes and distilled water, you might see a kind of signature pattern of the distilled water, but I have never seen any complex imagery coming from my thoughts or from, um, or from any other influence, not to say that it can't, that can't happen, but in, in the way I have been working with water for so long, I've got the least amount of communication using distilled water. And I, and I really think we are not distilled water. I'm really interested in kind of investigating what it is to be alive and human. And, and a nature a body. And so we're not a body of distilled water. We are an ocean. And so I'm very interested in working with water that has salts and minerals. So um, so when I saw this death, I'm like, of course, this is another glyph for a transition of life in, in the way in which water is communicating. And it very much feels that way when you see the work. So this isn't just like, about looking at the ice imagery and going, oh, that means living, or that means gratitude. It's more than that. It it is the energy of them. So we're seeing crystallized energy in these ice um, imagers. And so, so for example, I could say, okay, this is my glasses here are my glasses and we all understand okay that's her glasses we wouldn't think anything more about my glasses after this we probably will never think about them again but but if I say this is the energy of my glasses like well the energy of my glasses what is that for me the energy means it helps me see better there's some clarity around it they've been purposefully made so that people like me who need to be able to wear glasses to see better can do that you know there's there's structure, there's an understanding of the human anatomy so that they fit over the ears. There's so much going on in the energy of glasses. I could write an entire essay about it, but that's my kind of, my personality. I could definitely do that. But when you, when you kind of ask somebody what is the energy of something, your answer will be different than just as if you're reading a word. So they're very, there's a lot of depth within the hydroglyphs.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, another thing, uh, going back to the uh, the first uh, part uh, when you were sharing or talking about uh, the indigenous elder from Hawaii uh, calling the water their uh, relative. Uh, it's the same thing that I've seen uh, when I, <clears throat> I spent uh, time uh, in Arizona with the indigenous people there and uh, uh, see them uh, call the water their mother and uh, the question would be, uh, what do you think the implication or the uh, the way of being that we see as a water, as our relative, as our mother?
0: Well, I think that if everybody had a change of perception in one, all at once, the world would be a very, very different place. I mean, I always say you change your life with a change of perception. Uh, I think if we really, really took on board the fact that we are all related, but not just as humans, but to all nature, because without water, there is no life. So if we truly understood that, or or even just played with the idea and let it really sink in, that the water that we drink has been through the clouds and the trees and the animals and things like Luna back there, the cat, it's been through um, all these different things that we might identify and see and go, oh, well, that's a tree. You know, that's a cat. That's a cloud. That's a dinosaur. You know, that's my ancestor. We 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 label things we can see that are within a body, but we with water we know. Oh, that's water. That's just that's water. We we call it water water if it comes out of a tap or if it comes out of a a shower if it comes out of a stream it's all water so we have it because it's not in a body we don't tend to identify it in the same way that we do with humans we might say that's a uh, lake water or you know but the water is always there that word and so for us to even comprehend that we're all connected because it's such a cliche everybody says it's oh we're all connected you know and they and and the the reality, the truth of the matter is we are, in that sense that the water that eventually gets into our glass that we're about to drink literally has we don't it's the most remarkable thing that first has even managed to get in our glass and that it's in front of us. Of all the water in the world, that water's managed to come into our glass. And how lucky are we in this first world to be able to have, you know, this this decision of what water can we drink, what water what water do we want to drink rather than what water is there to drink? So firstly, I mean, we have to be mindful that, wow, this has managed to get in front of me. What does it, what what can it share? What can I share? And so with it, so that's my thing. We're the welcoming committee when we drink water. We always think about what water can do for us. We're like, oh, well, maybe if I bless my water and I do this to it and do this to it, then it's going to heal me. But actually there is no medicine, there is no no pill, there is no food, there is no nothing that's going to heal you. You heal you. And I I think that there is this beautiful idea of like, well, what is you? So when when you drink water, that water becomes you. It becomes a part of this body. When we eat anything, we never think about it. It's like, if I have an apple. And I'm like, okay, here's an apple, and here we go, we label the apple. Okay, we've labeled the apple. Now, if you eat the apple, is it still an apple? It's now part of you. And so we, you know, and all these things help help this body to function, but part of something that becomes a process of your function also is, is, is kind of like becomes part of you for a time. And so you have the energy of that apple in you, you have the energy of that food in you, and you have the energy of that water in you, but your saliva holds the information of your last word. So I've done tests where I've spat into a Petri dish, and when you spit, your spit creates bubbles. And when you freeze it, there'll often be a design of some kind on the top of the bubble and kind of almost etched in, and it's relative, often relative to the word you last spoke. And so it's very interesting because that really brings into play this concept and idea of uh, why we might um, say what we're grateful for before we eat or before we drink, um, to say a blessing or a prayer. So by doing all of those things, the water that you drink is in touch with that saliva. It's the first fluid it comes into touch with, and that's literally like this welcoming committee. So if you are going, it's just like a friend, you know. If you'll never open the door and ignore the person that's knocking at the door and pretend they're not there. So when you open the door and you see someone, you're going to be like, oh my god, hi, how about you? And you come in, have a cup of tea, and do all of this stuff. But when really would ever even consider that that the food or water that we're eating or drinking is entering into the door of our mouth. And so actually how how do we welcome it? So that is by being mindful of like what that word is. If it's thank you, that's a beautiful word. If it's like welcome, you know, I found that to be very encouraging. Water really loves that. It's very, very much as like as how you would treat somebody that you maybe haven't seen in in a long time. So it's another way of perceiving. And so if we, if we were to kind of consider that water is the, is a mother or I tend to think of water really as my everything, because I see within human beings, we all have different relationships with different people and different animals and different plants, for example. And you, know, you might have uh, a lover-beloved relationship. You might have a parent-child relationship. All these different relationships, you know. But each person is a body of water, and we're having different relationships with each one. And so I've been wondering, my, my cat Luna, we've only had her for a few days, and this is the first podcast I've done. Um, so she's very Hi. curious. <laughs> hey, now little girl. Um, and so... You know, you start kind of thinking about that. And then I realized that I'm actually having different relationships with water all the time. We are bodies of water. We're intelligent, fluid bodies of water. And which which, because we have this meat suit around us, which is also skin, there's so much water. We just don't see ourselves that way. When I speak in schools to sort of eight to 12 year olds, I'll often say, if your skin was invisible and your organs were see through, what would you look like? And it always comes back to looking like streams and rivers and waterfalls and tributaries. One child said he looked like a brain shaped cloud with electrical rain shining that's showering down in the shape of a human. You know, start asking children these questions and they immediately. Um, kind of start resonating with this idea that we are this this inflow you know we we kind of like as um another friend would say we're kind of like um we're like jellyfish walking jellyfish you know we're actually this kind of plasmary watery body but the water we know it comes in and it also goes out so there is water that moves through us and hydrates us but in my the the Māori culture, my dad is Māori, New Zealand native Māori here, Um, there is a word for spirit, and the word is wairua. It means two waters, the physical waters, which I've just talked about, and the spiritual waters, of which are both within a person or an animal. And it's very important to remember that, I think, for me, because to me, there's the idea of the spiritual water. And I think that spiritual water... uh, is the witness, it's the observer. I think that distilled water is more the observer than the active participant. I think when you have salts within you, which, of course, we know we do, we sweat. It's so salty when we sweat. um, Because we have salts within us, um, that means that we are able to store and hold memories. And it's very interesting because one of the things that starts to happen when people get Alzheimer's, is that there is a lack or a lessening of that structured water, that that kind of easy exclusion zone, fourth phase water. But also there's often a a, a lacking of salt, of good natural salts, not ionized salts, you know, salts with all the minerals. And that includes the mineral kingdom too. So it's very important to kind of think about this idea of, what is it going on in in these human bodies? You know, when, when somebody dies and I, I, um, my, one of my dearest friends and my godfather passed away. I can't believe it was nearly two years ago now. And, um, it was very surprising. Like he, he's Italian and just super fit and healthy and strong and like in his seventies, but just, you know, never even got a cold. And then, um, and then he found out he had cancer and two weeks later he was gone. And it was very shocking. You know, it's very shocking when somebody passes like that so quickly. And in those moments, I realized something as well as when my mum passed away in 1999 too. You know, when we, when this, this vehicle, this body expires, what's left behind outside of not looking at all the physical stuff? What's left behind is the memories and the hearts of other people. And the memories in this fluid body that, 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 that we've been in a beautiful memory for someone else. And they hold that. And they keep that. And that's, that's a gift we leave behind that's very, very real. That anyone that's lost anybody will testify to as being a real thing. So it's like we are part of the memory body in the people we leave. We, we literally have become part of them. Because memories are part of what make up this human body. So it, it's a very beautiful way to see this. Um, and and I think that when we start to bring it around to, also, hydroglyphs talking about living and death, you know, by, by, by that sophistication, we're seeing that this concept of life and death, that the word death, you know, is is a definitely a transition in the world of water. There is, it's like, it's kind of like going just from a liquid to a gas. And that's important because I think when we start observing the complexity and the sophistication within the realm of water and remembering too that we are this body of water, And remembering that water has many stages. It's not stuck in the liquid stage. You know, there's the gas stage. There's the ice stage. There's the plasma stage. If we're so much water, that means we can be all these things too, both physically and energetically. And so when somebody's got a lot of stuff going on, I used to have a wellness center many years ago, and I could literally see in my mind's eye that they had like where their blocks were and often we have emotional blocks that prevent us from moving forward in certain areas and sometimes that can lead into something physical so i would literally see what looked like a block of ice um in the area where they were holding and so i would hold, i would touch that place often it was in people's throats interestingly but sometimes it was in a heart space or sometimes you know, on a leg, but, um, I would put my hand there and I would say, no, I want you to really imagine in your mind's eye. And the mind's eye is important because I want to talk about a guy called Jenna Krokalev in a second, but, um, I would say in your mind's eye, I want you to really work with me here. This is the place that you're saying you have all this stuck energy. Please imagine that it's ice, this block of ice. It can be as big or small as you want it to be, but make it aligned with how you feel. And so what it, and and then I said, I want you to know my hand is very, very hot and it's going to be melting that ice. And so work with me here, allow that, allow that ice to be in this heat. And so you could feel this kind of melting literally. And so when that person would say, okay, I, I can feel that it's gone. When I felt that it had melted, um, I would say to them, you know, when you next go to the bathroom. You will likely notice that you urinate much long more than you expect, and that is because the this energy is moved and is a, is able to pass through. Now it's transitioned from one stage into another. And every single client that I had would say that they could not stop urinating. It was like a, it was just really quite remarkable. It was like they drank twenty seven glasses of water or something. But we can work with this fluid water. You know we. We can work with it because it's working with us always, and in always, we we can be this gas state. That's that's kind of the idea of the water transitioning, like the spirit moving out of the body. You know, um, I've interviewed a number of people that have had near death experiences, and they uh, three of them said the same thing, they said they this feeling, the sense of rising, which is what a gas does, and then they, they looked down upon their bodies being resuscitated, and they all said, oh, I hope that person's going to be okay. Like, there was no attachment whatsoever to the physical body. And when they did that, it made me really go, oh, well, it's this concept of water being the observer in its more spiritual aspect, more in the gas stage. It seems very, very relevant with this concept of consciousness and water. And so this idea that, that they could observe themselves whilst in this other stage really rang true for me. And and the fact that they were able to come back into the body, I think that was based around electrical charge. I think because we have electrical charge as people, um, even when you, your heart stops beating, your brain still has some movement for approximately 10 to 12 minutes And any movement is going to create some kind of piezoelectricity coming from the salt in the water in your blood. And so I had Dr. Jerry Bollock on one of my masterclasses, and he was talking about one of his um, students or someone who was doing a study using a chick embryo. So you can, what you can, there's a way you can crack open an egg and let the chick grow so you can watch it. So at four days as it was starting to develop, um, before it even looked anything like a chick, they stopped its heartbeat to see whether the exclusion zone would um, would completely drop with all the other vitals. And it dropped, but it didn't drop all the way. And when they put infrared light beside it, it came all the way back up again and took a very long time just to go back down. And he said, you know, based upon this, it might be that we, in we, and very long time, I'm talking over an hour, he said it might be that we need to reconsider when someone's dead. And so I think that's a very interesting concept based on the, these people's ability to return back into the physical body where there is any kind of movement, there has got to be some weak electrical charge. And that charge is like the silver thread you might imagine, that people have um, with this idea of spirit being able to even astral travel you know if people talk about this um, being able to do that even observing ourselves in dreams you know that's a very interesting phenomena the dream worlds so on my journey of to try to figure out whether or not water was conscious or whether our consciousness is impacting the water which I get asked a lot in the early stages, when I first started doing this work, um, I had no idea if that was real. I'd seen Emoto stuff, but I, I think I resonated the most with a, a man by the name called Laurent Costa. He's a French microscopic photographer. And rather than only see geometries, and he's all beautiful geometries, which, is, of course, is such a big kind of blueprint of nature out there, geometries. But I worked as a, as a professional oil painter, for many years um, before I got into the area of research. And I see the world artistically, like it's like the most amazing art piece you could ever, I can't even dream up how nature has designed things so beautifully. And so for me, I get a different response when I see, for example, Laurent was seeing smiley faces in the water after smiling at the water. He was seeing smiley faces form in the ice. He was seeing hearts. He was seeing fish, everything relative to what had gone on with his day. And when I saw those, it made me smile. Like I'm like, oh, there's a smiley face. It makes you want to smile back at it. You know, you have a, a different response to when you see geometries. And people are very attracted to geomet- geometries and sacred geometries. And they say, of course we are. But that's kind of like what we're made up of. But then what makes us who we are who we are is sort of like there is this creation there's this design, there's things that we've that, that we can make something out of nothing from our from our thoughts and ideas you know and that's kind of what it appears to me to be happening when i'm looking at like imagery like art you know it's something very unique and special and it's like there's this thumbprint of of an artistic of an artist there you know if you you can look at the art but but we also want to know about the artist and so um when I saw Laurent's work and I saw this I really wanted to understand more about him and he never wanted to experiment on water and I'm in the same boat you won't hear me talk about experimenting on water Um, the reason is because I'm getting responses and not reactions Uh, in the very early stages of doing this work you know, I um, I I got the most incredible picture. I um, I'd see heard about I'd heard about Emoto, I'd heard about Laurent, but they all had they all had microscopes. You know, and 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 ten years ago, I didn't have a microscope, and and I'm like, well, how can I see for myself if this thing is real? Because I don't believe you should believe everything people say, or well, you know you. I think it's good. If you can try something for yourself, I really recommend you do it so you have your own experience of it. Because I'm one of those people that learns from what I do and can talk about what I know, but I'm really bad at remembering everything I've ever read and just re- regurgitating it. So I tend to just learn by experience, which I know a lot of people do. So um, so I was, like, I was inspired by another man by the name of um, Thomas Hieronymus He was a radiotic engineer and he made an interesting observation when he went into a Parisian meat market um, and on a very cold day, he noticed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, the frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ above a liver organ and so on and so forth. And his hypothesis, was that there seemed to be some kind of life force energy still emanating out of these organs, even though they weren't attached to an animal anymore. And he put that down to the fact that there was water in the blood. And in the different organs of the human body and animal bodies and other bodies, there is a thing called sonic signatures. So each organ has its own kind of cymatic sonic signature, if you will. And he believed that because these were so fresh and the blood was still very fresh and it was so cold the water in the blood was sharing information of that blueprint of that organ with the water in the air that was freezing into that form and shape even Rudolf Steiner will say you know look at the way the frost freezes on a butcher's window compared to that of a florist's and you'll see that they're very different because water picks up on energy and crystallizes into the energy forms this is why I say it's the energy of something and so I'm like, okay, well, he sourced this with his naked eye. So that's, that's good news. And the secret seems to be in the freezing where the, inv- the, vis- the invisible becomes visible. And I've got a freezer, you know, and I've got my imagination. And I had a glass Petri dish from another project I was doing. So I put some spring water to start with. And I've used all kinds of waters. But I used some spring water, which I think is my preference for working with water. And, um, and I was like, well, what am I going, how do I want to inspire the water, you know? And so, um, I thought, well, I'll, I'm going to put a thought, I'm just going to think something and I'm going to project the thought into there. And so I was thinking like about what I was going to think about. And as I was doing that, um, I saw this bit of fluff floating around in the dish and i like, oh my God. So I put my hand in to take out the fluff and I consciously thought, oh, I, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's memory, because I didn't know if that was a real thing. I still don't know if it's the right word. But, but anyway, so I put it into the freezer with the peas and the broccoli and all the stuff, and I forgot about it. And hours later, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's, let's check it out, because I really didn't have any expectations. When I pulled it out of the freezer, and my Petri dish is about the size of my head. It's about 10 centimeters in diameter. And half of that Petri dish, you could see this image of a hand in the ice that was so clear. And it freaked me out because it looked like the, an X-ray of my hand. And I showed my son, Rama, because he didn't know what I'd done and he didn't know what he was looking at. And I said, hey, Rama, you know, what does this look like? And he was like, looks like a hand. Mom, it looks like an X-ray, kind of creepy hand. I'm like, it does. And then I went to the sea and I got some seawater. And I froze a thin layer of that and I got this amazing fish with scales and fins and gills and an eye and a tail and everything and I'm like oh my god and for a year I completely froze water and I saw amazing imagery until I started to study the new science of water and I started to know more and more about Dr. Jerry Pollack's work and this idea that fourth phase water is the stage in between liquid and ice at the stage as water's freezing, but before it's frozen, as it's melting. And that led me to think, well, maybe I'm really missing something in the freezer. Like, what's really happening in there? At what stage is it designing? So I started to open my freezer earlier and earlier and earlier. And um, when my freezer, this is my oh, kind of the new freezer I've got, which isn't as good as my first one, which froze, which was very cold setting. Um, it was at minus 23 degrees Celsius, which was my perfect um, temperature to do this work. Uh, and so back then it only took around about four minutes to be at frozen to the right stage where there's like this liquid on top and there's this this formative ice underneath. And I was curious, like, oh, what's going on with that? I can see there's something under the ice. I literally just pulled it out and had held it up to the light and the water tipped away and there was the crystallography. And I realized in that moment that by letting it completely freeze, um, it was actually freezing over a lot of the information. So I I would say that the the um, ice that I'm freezing now is the first freeze. It works to me. I I gave it, I give an analogy. It's kind of like a glue and glitter picture. When I was a little girl, my teacher would give me a piece of paper and a glue stick, and we'd draw a glue st- draw a picture with the glue stick. And then we'd get some glitter or some sand and we'd sprinkle the glitter over the glue and some would stick to the glue and some wouldn't. And then we'd get the picture and we'd tip, tip away and all the rest of the glitter would fall away and there's this beautiful picture. Well, your conscious expression, your intention is the glue and the water that, that sticks to that glue, sticks to the pattern of that thought process and the rest tips away. But if you tip that remaining water into another petri dish, you actually get a secondary layer of information. And water freezes in three stages. The first freeze is, the, is that first formative design. And then there's the second freeze, which is like another layer on top of it, which really starts to happen at around 18 minutes. And then, and simultaneously, there's liquid water in between those two layers that completely freezes solid. And that's the three freezers. The liquid water in the middle tends to hold the most um, minerals that tend to then kind of give it more of a cloudy, darker look. So by getting this very thin layer, it allows me to let all the different colors um, in the background come through. So you see a lot of colors in my work. You see a lot of design and perspective, and it's very three-dimensional. So when I really discovered this technique, it was, and I call it CMP, which stands for collective molecular photography, because it's like working like pixels do for a photo. It's almost like the, the, um, the water molecules work as a collective to design. And, and a really important piece, cause you brought up the indigenous wisdom was that I was talking to an American Indian woman who said she could speak to bees and she, she really shared something very, very powerful with me. She said that she would watch their hives for long periods of time. And eventually a, a bee came out and communicated in some way to her and it said to her, we don't mind you looking at our hive, but please don't look at it for so long because your conscious expression is putting too much light in the hive and we like it to be darker. And when I heard that, it was like, Oh, I see what you mean. I see what's going on here. Your conscious expression allow, is putting more light into the water. And water is also a huge amount of photons. It's not just oxygen and hydrogen. It's also a huge amount of photons. It's, it's It's got its own light source. And this is really important because I photograph water as, at certain times when I get just perfect lighting. When I open the freezer and the ice is just starting to swarm and often it will um but not always the water will start to form into ice spikes from the side of the dish and i've captured light like a halo around those little ice spikes so i think it's actually light that paves the way for the design of the water it's like light shoots out of the water and out of the ice and the rest of the water forms into ice in the to the path of the light. And I think that that's a very, very important piece when we're starting to look at what it is to be human, how we work with consciousness. Consciousness clearly emits light, and this is something very special. So there was work that was done by a scientist and a he's also a psychiatrist. It was from Russia and his name was Gennady Krokalev. And he was working with psychiatric patients who were hallucinating a lot. And so he worked with over 200 patients and he wanted to understand whether they really were seeing something, like what was going on in this hallucinatory, like halluc, these hallucinations. And so he, he put this kind of thing together to do an experiment where he made these goggles and took the lenses out of the goggles and he got this camera called a Zenith camera, which is black and white camera. And it has a kind of like a box thing that comes out of it. Um, It's quite an old fashioned camera. And he attached the end of the, the box to these goggles. And as the patient was having a hallucination, he was photographing the retinas, the retina of their eyes and What was amazing is that he did this with over 200 patients and with 117 of them, they were able to confirm that the pictures he took were, in fact, of the things that they were seeing. And this was then repeated within the last 15 years by more Russian scientists, but rather than use psychiatric patients, they used a remote viewer. And what they did was that they used the same exact setup with the same Zenith camera, except they used a scuba diving mask instead because it was a bit more secure, and they took the lenses out of the mask. And this lady who could remote view was sat down, and there was a person that was photographing the retina of her eye as she was tuning in to the scientists that were standing behind a wall holding up numbers and shapes. And they were able to actually prove, and you can see the photos, that... Yes, she could see there's the number one, there's the triangle and the square, and there was enough light that emanated out of the retina of the eye to create form. And the the cameras are very sensitive, and they pick up light and light sources. Like, we can't see orbs. Not, every, not, not, not everyone can see orbs, but the camera can pick up orbs, and so... I think that animals, many animals can see these things as well. We just are not in the kind of, our our sight just doesn't quite allow us to see the more subtle realm. So it's extremely interesting. So their hypotheses about that were twofold. One was that maybe there is a secondary layer of consciousness, like another realm that we just can't see, Or, or, and perhaps. And and the this last one's probably the one that most of them went with, um, was that the brain, when it receives information or thinks, the brain um, sends that information to the retina of the eye, and the retina, which is also mostly water, it, it kind of creates when it takes that information and puts it into a picture form, and that creates a kind of hologram, that on a more subtle realm. Is perceivable by certain animals, I believe, and can be picked up on the camera. So, if you imagine that, as we're like having a very, very clear thought, so this only worked if they held a picture in their mind's eye. It wasn't that you have a thought about, like, you know, did what to buy at the supermarket, or you had to have a very clear picture in your mind's eye. So that was a very interesting kind of idea around consciousness and yet when I do this work I find that water it's not that I have to be really concentrating in fact the less I do that the more the more clear my my work is it's interesting because it's more about the relationship bond than it is about it ever being about an experiment the moment you start experimenting, I think you take the sweetness away from from the relationship. And so I think that it's amazing that water is patient enough um, and to, to design repeatedly. Because um, I have a good little team of people that work with me in this area. And one of them was saying, God, it, water must get so bored. Because we tend to talk about water as if it, it has a personality. You know, and, and and again, these concepts might be very difficult for some people to even get their head around. But I think that when you do the work, when you when you actually try the method, and you start to see these designs appear, something happens in that 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 does make you start to question things. And because these people have seen that, they do tend to talk in these ways. And so he was like, oh, you know surely it would get so bored just doing the same thing. You're asking the same question over and over and over again. And, and yet, you know, my partner, he said, well, actually, you know, if you think about a music teacher. Cause he, t- he, he um, loves music and he did piano when he was growing up. And, you know, when you were starting to learn music, you do the same thing over and over and over again. And if you've got a good teacher, they're very patient. They keep teaching you until you've got it. And so, for me, it's kind of like when water gets to that 50 number, because that's the idea of, of a number that's not random. It's almost like it's kind of going, come on, let's go on to the next thing now. You, you, you've you got it now. But up until the 50, it's just consistent for me. And so it, it's a very interesting one whereby I know that I've asked questions to water because I'm not limited. You know, I, 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 I'm fortunate in that way that I'm not paid to do to do this. I can do anything I want and say anything I want, really. So um, so I, I don't really have the limitations that and the parameters of um, of the science world, uh, of which I think the science world is very important. I do think that true science will overlay with art and indigenous and ancient wisdom. There will be just this kind of overlap <clears throat> where they... Where it's some sort of they're all saying the same thing they think that there is a the interweave um, of life is very complex and if we only study water through through a scientific lens although we'll learn a lot of things we may very well miss a lot of things too so I think it's great to bring them together so um, I, I think that whilst we are learning um, about water in these it's certainly from my perspective i'm like able to ask questions like i'm able just to do things that sound a little crazy to some people but people are fascinated with the results nonetheless so my mother had passed away in 1999 she was like a walking angel she was my best friend and i used to live in japan and we used to write letters to each other because that was before cell phones and emails and stuff like that so we actually had to physically write letters and I had this bunch of letters that she wrote. And at the end of every letter, my mother would attempt to draw a circle. And then she'd put a heart in the middle. And mum's circles were hopeless. And she'd be the first to admit it. And um, so uh, she, she, after she'd passed, I missed her a lot. And when I started using this technique and stuff, I, I just said, Can you connect to my mum? And I froze the water and I pulled it out and there was this misshapen circle with a heart in the middle, just like mum would draw for me. And that was very powerful for me in, in that moment because no one knew about those letters, no one, had shown them to anybody. And that was her signature, you know, that was the way she ended things for, for every letter. So it was very potent. And, and I've seen way too much of that kind of stuff happen. Way too much. I have, you know, a huge body of prolific, like 40,000 photos. And in the very early stages, I might well have been one of those people that would have said, well, your water has to be conforming and, and, and adhering to our consciousness for this to be plausible whatsoever. How could it possibly have a sovereign voice that would shatter all paradigms? Because that, that doesn't seem logical because of the way we see water with a very mechanistic view. But I, the more I've done this work, I, I see water as, yes, it can communicate. So it's like it understands consciousness and it can re- reciprocate by designing what you think or what you show it, or it can, sh- but it can also just not do that and it can show you more about itself tap water will often show you all the different routes it went through and the right angles it went through to get to you. Like, spring water will often design the things that it kind of, if quote-unquote, saw on its journey. You'll often see different things of its journey. Um, Sometimes water will ignore you completely and show you something that's on the, you know, near you. You know, it's interesting. And so then... You can ask water questions in which I've done, or write words that have no. You have no picture for in your mind, like uh, for example, ego is a word. I'm like, well, a picture, a specific picture doesn't tend to come up for me when I use the word ego because it's hard for humans to even fully define the word. But when I use that word, water designed something that really should be in an art gallery, which was this big, puffed up human body with a thin neck. And um, a small face of a giant balloon head. And the face was looking away. So it was very interesting, that concept of this kind of puffed up human suit, if you will, so that, that water designed. And there was a time where I t- took the same water, like I collected the water, and I used the same water. I put the same water into two petri dishes. The only difference was that under one Petri dish was the word, um, I think it was expansion, and the word under it, the other one, was contemplation. Same water, the only thing different was the words. I put them both into the freezer at the same time. My daughter helped me by when it was time to pull them out, because I need help with someone else holding them up so I can photograph them, to be at the same time. Pulled them out photographed them, and they they were completely different images. The expa- expansion one was like a tiny little, almost like a little angel in the middle with these kind of geomet- geometric patterns that were like um, just kind of coming out and out and out and out to the edge of the dish. That was incredibly beautiful, exactly like you might want to imagine expansion or emanation. But the contemplation one was really different. There was the circle, kind of like an oval shape. And inside the oval shape was an image that looked like somebody just looking out a window. It was completely so so water had taken you same water had designed these two words using images. And so fascinating. And so I've asked people from um from uh overseas to so send a thought all the way to New Zealand here. Um, one lady in India, uh, as someone I know, she's been afraid of water her whole life, actually. And just had, I don't know what happened to her, to, for her to be so afraid. She, she only, will even only shower in what they call it the bucket shower in India, where you have a bucket with like a scoop and you just put it over yourself. And she just, she's so afraid of drowning. And so I, I I rang her and I said, would you mind sending a thought into my Petri dish of water and I'll freeze it and we'll see what happens, you know. And so she said, okay, I've, I've done that. And so I froze it and I pulled it out and I sent, I emailed it to her and she rang me up and she said, How, that's amazing. And I said, well, what did you think? And she said that she'd actually just started doing therapy for her water phobia and the therapist was saying you know you have to start first with imagining she said just start imagining that you're standing in in a, at a river or at a water source and with your head above water and just just imagine that just start there so she just started practicing um standing in the river ganges because she said well if i'm going to drown at least if i she's hindu if i drown in the ganges you know then that'll be a good way to go. So she's standing in her imagination in the River Ganges with her head above water and her feet, she's, and she's standing on a rock. And so in the image in the ice, there is this depiction of a rock with a, a person standing and you can literally see that the mark around her neck where the water line would be. So very, very interesting and we've done the same thing with somebody in America who projected a thought and got an amazing image. So... The, there's no limitations, but it, there is clear design and response. So I, I personally, and again, I say to people, you know, and, and when you see the work, you understand why I'm so enthusiastic. It's it's very difficult to really um, get on board with the concepts and ideas until you actually see the work, because pictures speak a thousand words. And water has so much to say. It literally is the element that can speak for itself. And so I I think that now we have such a huge body of other people's work. Um, I share more people's work now on social media than my own. I, I get sent people's images every day. And children are doing it, like people are doing it all around the world. So it's fascinating to me because people are so clever. And, and and you know they they have so many different ideas, and we're all different. That way, we get to learn so much when we when we pull from all of these amazing imaginations that people have, and amazing personalities. Some people are very very scientific, and they bring this whole other realm to the work. So, I mean, I'm always in awe of it. But the moment that I think I know what water's going to do. And assume or get into an ego-based space water won't play with me at all it's not a machine you know water is wild you know if we think that water is just a photocopier at best some people would say well you know it's going to just keep doing this kind of photocopy thing and and people see my work and they think well you know Maybe it just acts like a machine and you just tell it what to do and it will do it. And your consciousness is telling it what to do. Then that makes some kind of sense. But no, I I don't think so. I think that's a very arrogant way to think. And I don't think that there's any sweetness in that. If this is a relationship and you want to start it, I always suggest to people in the beginning the work, don't go into this with an expectation that water is going to do what you want especially for the people that have a love for water water literally is also my spiritual teacher and has given me some kicks of Maya, if you will that's this idea that sometimes we we start making assumptions about things and to stay out of that space is the only way to really um kind of make this have this re- reaction this this response this um, relationship and and It teaches us to be very mindful, just to stay curious, to kind of be in the mind of a child rather than to be in the adult criticism, like criticizing everything. And I I think what we're really seeing in these dishes is also reflections of ourselves in many ways and expressions of the way water sees us. And I think water sees us very differently than we see ourselves. I think water water, on its more spiritual um, aspect and it's a more higher purpose is to improve things and to reflect the best in things. It, it won't design in the realm of of anger or frustration. It won't design in that space. Um, it just not out of judgment, but because it just doesn't resonate there. It doesn't resonate at that frequency. But you know if i' if I'm sad and I'm doing this crystallography, Water is so compassionate that it will often show me sad faces. It knows I'm sad. I'm not destroying it structurally. You know, we get very fixated on what's good and bad, and what's beautiful and what's ugly. And I think it's kind of sad in a way because we have, we love these extremes. The people love it when I show the extremes of things, which I try to do less and less, quite honestly, because I've learned that. Working with a lot of children, if children can't identify with the best or worst of something, they tend to lean towards it being the worst. For example, my oldest son, when he saw Emoto's work in the contrast of heavy metal and classical music, and he doesn't like either, he came to me and he said, I think water hates me. And I said, What? And he said, Yeah, mum, I do. And I'm like, Why do do you you? think that? And he, he said, Well, because look, It only shows the pretty patterns for classical music and and various different types of classical music. But, you know, and it it absolutely seems to hate heavy metal. And, and, And he said, I like rap. You know, I like Tupac and Tupac swears. So, you know, it's definitely hating me. I'm like, oh, well, actually, do you know what? That water is not in judgment. And I suspect that the people that did that may well not have liked those types of music. And that might have been coming across. I said, there are many, by that definition, you were saying that all, any, all people that like heavy metal are bad. And I think that's utterly wrong. I think, I think that we, we tend to, when we look at extremes, which we love, we love to see the love and the hate. Oh, look how bad the hate is. Look how good the love is. But do for a child, if they don't see any in-between, they they immediately assume that if they're not being loving and they feel this way, then that means that there is a destruction that is going on. There is no hope. They feel there's guilt. And so I did a whole bunch of different genres of music to show him what water might do. And also because I was curious. And uh I found that water actually likes to pick up on words out of songs and it likes to design through different imagery as well um and so for example when i started to do um and i, I did i did tupac uh, i did lots of i did heavy metal i did classical music i did um reggae and electronic music and drum and bass i did um uh country music i did rock you know um i did uh prayer um like chanting and um, like all kinds of stuff like all kinds as much as I could find and I would find that water will often pick up on a word. and for example, the way I even discovered hydroglyphs was out of doing this work. And my son was much relieved to see the way that water designed because he was like, oh it's it's more that it, it that it, it's expressing and it's it's showing that, um, there is there is a connection to the person that's enjoying the music and, and it's actually, but it seems to love energy of words and so it will design that sometimes. And so he did a bunch of them too. His work was really, really great. So when I used the word, the song Stairway to Heaven, I, my cat is racing around all over the place. When I, when I um, used the word Stairway to Heaven, and I, I repeated that song over a course of time, 10, 10 12 times. Every time I would see this thing, looked like a stairway in the ice. I'm like, what's going on in there? Like, and after, by the end of it, like 12 times later, I'm like, I wonder if that means stairway. So I wrote the word stairway, put my dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds. It's a number I give people when they're starting out how to do the work. It's not too long. It's not too short. And then um, I, I froze it. I saw the stairway glyph and I kept doing it and kept doing it until I'd done it 50 times. Because again, like I said, that's the number that's not random in my mind. But I think I think that that is a symbol for the word stairway. How cool is that? And then I went on to think, I'm like, well, you know, relative to that song, what else could it mean? So then I wrote the words climb up and I got the stairway glyph again. And again, and again, and again. And that's where I realized that hydroglyphs have layers of meaning. And it's very interesting because when that's where you start to understand the power of words. And even if you go back and you look at many different kind of religious and philosophical texts, um, you know, the word especially in Genesis, it's like God spoke the word and he spoke over the face of the waters. Water had a a face and was there already. How amazing is that? So I think what we're seeing is something very, very, very important, very tangible, very real and something to be that, and and also pretty, it's so new. But I always also said the future is ancient. So there's a part of this that feels very old as well.
1: <clears throat> that's beautiful. Uh thank you for for sharing that. Um could you please share about the uh, the Maori story <clears throat> of um that's something that I want to uh, address in future episodes too is uh, how the Maori's uh, uh gave uh, human rights to a river mm-hmm. and how they uh called the river their relative too. Mhm.
0: I think that that many indigenous cultures believe that water is a living being, and so too with the, the Maori. So that was the Whanganui River that you're talking about, and the um, the, the tribe there worked very hard petitioning the government to allow them to be the the caretakers of that river. What they saw, so so within the the a, a Maori tradition and, and to, to be honest, I'm still learning about it. My father is Maori, but I didn't even know I didn't know him until I was twelve years old. and even he wasn't brought up with his Maori father. He didn't know about his father. He was brought up by his stepfather. so so a lot of this is is a coming into learning of my own culture now, which which unfortunately is as the case of, of of many indigenous. We come into it later because we're, we're very curious, but, um, and so what's interesting is that there is this identification that the, that the, um, I am the river and the river is me. is, is a saying that they have. So there was another tribe, we'll get to the Whanganui River in a minute, a long time ago where there was a type of bird called a bird, which is extinct now, and as that bird was going into extinction, that tribe felt that they were going into extinct too. There was that feeling of that because they identified as much with the bird as they did with the, with the land and the river. There is sort of like, we are all connected feeling. Um, but with the Whanganui tribe, what they, what they were observing was that the riverbed the gravel was being taken out, so the belly of the water was being scraped. They saw that effluence was going into the mouth of the river, and they that was appalling to them. But even worse, the headwaters were being diverted, which to them was um, aquatic decapitation. Uh, the head is the most sacred part of the body in Maoridom So for that to be happening was just horrendous. And because they do believe that the water is an ancestor, and that they are the caretakers, and it is their duty and responsibility as Maori to maintain the uh, Maori, which is which is another word which means life force energy, or it's their kind of kind of like a the emotional health of of their um, of the water, and 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 that's their responsibility. And so they took that so seriously that they petitioned the government over a long, long period of time, but eventually the water was given the rights of personhood, and uh, that means that, actually means that the the, the river has to vote or can vote, Uh, but it's the the tribe who take good care, and they have done. They take very, very good care of the river and um, do treat it as one of their own, and Interestingly, those rights were given to the River Ganga in India, um, and I think the River Yamuna. But I think it's more difficult to maintain the health, the the, the at least the cleanliness of those rivers. The energetic health is there though, and I, and I think that the that seeing that water is these two parts, you know, the spiritual and the physical. I think. By by understanding that the water itself has a physical and a phys, and a spiritual aspect. The spiritual aspect is this this kind of word of of of, of mouldy. It, it's this kind of like has a life force energy, and so um, I'm about to do a documentary where we where we're going to look at that. There's a, a stream that runs under Auckland City. And Auckland City has got lots and lots of buildings, as all cities tend to do. People don't even know about the stream that runs under it. And so we're going to be looking at the crystallography of the water that's coming out of their taps and the, the water that, that is exposed to the city. And then we'll take that and then we'll see what we can do to improve that that that, that energy of that water. And there's so much that can be done. You know, it, it doesn't take very much to... to for water to shift structurally, especially water that's gone through a lot of um, kind of industry because what I'm looking at specifically, and I'm not talking about the restructuring machines. I'm not talking about, you know, all the different things to make water, um, the physical waters um, better to drink. I'm looking at water's energetic state of health. It's emotional state of health. We can improve that just as we can improve that in humans. So tap water is very much like a sick person. Somebody could come to that sick person and give them some food or, um, you know, make them comfortable or whatever. If that person's feeling sick and, or if they've been told they have a disease, they might well still be sick and have that disease, but emotionally, They'll be improved because a person's come to show them some kindness and attention. Um, anyone in the healing, um, natural healing arena, will say that an attitude of gratitude is a wonderful place to start to heal. The fact that we see structural improvements in tap water so that it actually can even start to look like spring water from kindness, from gratitude, from an emotional um attention is very encouraging I believe and I think that we you know I I, um visited my son's my oldest son's nana in hospital yesterday she's in a kind of a hospital slash hospice retirement home place she's been there for a year and she's gone up and down uh, emotionally But, you know, we went in there, all she really wanted to do was be to push up to the top level so she could go to the library and pick out some books. So her her bed was like really heavy and it was kind of like a cross between a a bed and a wheelchair. And we like, my son, we had a sweat on trying to like push her, push her up this ramp to get into the thing. It was a whole process and, and she's just so happy, enjoying that she's getting out of that one room she has to look at, a day in and day out, she gets to to pick out some books, you know, we we get her something from the from the cafe there, and then we we take her back. I took her some of the, my my orange blossom spray, and I sprayed it over her, and left it with her, and you know, gave her a little head massage. And she was like, she said, you know, I'm so happy. She just she just acknowledged it. She said, I'm so happy, you know, and it, it made us all so happy that we could bring a little brightness into her day. And, and, you know, you go into these places where people are just left. I can't believe it. Indigenous cultures just, just shake their heads. They can't imagine leaving the old people in a retirement home. And, and, you know, there, there were so many characters, you know, your character is so fully developed when you're older. And, and like we were walking through the hall, taking Nana back to the room and this, this elderly guy on his walk is kind of going along. And he stops and he's, he's starts getting very enthusiastic talking in French, you know, and he's saying something really funny about it. Like he's saying oh, something very complimentary to me. He's like, oh, so beautiful and da-da-da, yada-da. And I don't really speak highly any French, so I just said I didn't really understand, but thank you anyway. And all the nurses were laughing. And, and he's just a character, you know. And, and you see these, these people just light up when they have someone to interact with tap water's like that we give it the worst rap ever it comes out of the tap and we go oh you know well we don't want to be drinking that and we have to filter and we have to do this and and it's carrying all that like you know heavy metals and and um all kinds of gross stuff and you know and and but it's teaching me so much it's showing me that it can structurally improve it taught me about the fact that water has an emotional state of health and when you even give someone or something attention, just just by that act alone, there can be big improvements.
1: <clears throat> yeah, the attitude uh, of gratitude. And now, now it's the second time I've heard uh, uh, that saying uh, in this uh, on this podcast, and uh, I really uh, resonate with that. And um, uh, when I previously asked uh, you about or uh, asked you to talk about. Uh, uh, water as a relative and uh, for the indigenous people uh, this way of life is uh, they don't question it that's uh, that's like a or they're they're living it they're seeing it in a, that way but in a but for a western mind um, seeing water as a relative it's hard to hard to feel it hard to see it and I think it's or it it, it comes from the illusion of separation somehow That we don't see water as uh, or anything else as a part of ourselves too that we we feel separate but the question or the maybe to ask you to talk about or try to answer this question maybe uh, if I word it in uh, that way uh, that will stir some more emotions uh, in people is uh, um, and it would be a what if water is God? What if water is creator?
0: I, I think that, that it's a wonderful um, thing to ponder because in my second, I don't know, whichever masterclass it was, uh, we talked about that concept. And there is presently a it's been guy doing the rounds, but on Instagram, there's a guy that's that, asked that it's asking that question. You know, what if water is God? Saying things like, well, if water was God, that would mean that he would be inside of us and outside of us above us and below us it would explain why um you know waters a woman's waters break when she when a baby um, is born uh, it would explain um, this idea of baptism it would explain so many concepts around what it is um to be with a creator and and it would mean it would you know, there's there's so many aspects where you actually put this idea of what is God uh, with the word water. And it makes a lot, the things make a lot of sense. And I'm not saying that that is, I don't know that any of us really know that or know that, but um, when you, when uh, my next masterclass, which I'm just starting to organize is going to be in the end of May, I think I'm going to make it then. And I'm getting people who represent all different religions to come and speak about what their texts, what their um, beliefs say about water. Because in all of them, water is mentioned multiple times. And I, I think when you... I'm very interested in seeing the commonalities. And if you ponder this concept, this idea, well, there is no life without water... In fact, water can bring things back to life. You know, there is a special, there's this type of moss. Um, I can't remember in what country it's to be found, but there's a a whole thing on it where it literally goes through there's when the drought happens, the moss basically dries up and is about as dead as you could ever say. You'd say, oh yeah, that's definitely dead. It's a dead moss. It just like sits there dormant, literally. But when the rains come, it completely, within seconds, it, it comes alive again. And, and it, it would be considered dead for a good part of that year. And then it just comes back alive. We see that water brings things to life again. There is this idea, if God, for example, and we're just entertaining the idea, was water then. Because water, we know so little about it, firstly, we don't even know where it came from. This, the, the jury's out as to whether water seeded the planet from asteroids or meteorites, or whether it came from the inside the Earth's mantle held within the ringwoodite, where there is huge amount of water still, and came to the surface through tectonic plates moving and whatnot, uh, or maybe both. Firstly, so firstly that we don't even know where it came from. Not that it just comes from clouds. How did it originate here? And then, then we look at the anomalous properties of water. It doesn't make any sense, right? It expands when it cools. It can go up trees. It's defying the laws of physics and gravity. Okay, it's pretty interesting. But it has these different stages. You know, it can be a liquid, gas, solid. Um, it can be uh, this, this plasma. But even then, the secrets are in the subtleties even then there's something like 300 different types of ice and within each type of ice, there are many different things to learn and many subtleties. So imagine the many subtleties of the gas stage. I think that that, that, that the spirit actually, or this concept and idea of spirit is very much when just a different stage of this gaseous stage, which is maybe just at a higher vibration that I think some animals, for example, can see. And, and so then there is this idea that if we are part of God or if we are one with God or we're sparks of God, that would make sense that we also um, behave as God. And then when we look in the mirror, we, it says, you know, in some texts that God created us in his image. But if you look in the water and you look in water, you'll see an image and, and you see your face. You know, it's very interesting. You can really dive deep into these ideas and then actually even even fire, the element of fire, so water can be in all elements, but you might think, but not fire, but actually salt water um, this with a certain type of um, microwave-type uh, energy creates this kind of fire that, that uh, is actually burning off the hydrogen bond. And it's this it burning off the salt water, and it looks kind of like lightning. And so, even from within these areas um, of what water is made up of, and this hydrogen throughout the universe, everywhere, and the planets and everything are getting seeded, you know, by all of these different um, the, these these gases that we call them, this this gas of hydrogen, and then and you even think about it like what is water when you think about it in in just its molecular compound okay you have two hydrogens and you have one large oxygen those two hydrogens are feminine in the mode of levity and the large oxygen is masculine in the mode of gravity together they create liquid water on this planet there is such divinity in the way in which water moves creates and water is always going back to source all the rivers and tributaries are always making their way they always make their way back to the ocean the ocean then the water evaporates off the ocean and we see that there is something that never dies that is essentially an immortal and that you look at all of these aspects of things and the holy spirit Rudolf Steiner talks about the dew drop as being the like the holy spirit the dew drop is the first water that sees the first light and it it is the sweetest water to ever you ever taste so you know there are many many things that if one's curious to go down that rabbit hole or that heart expansion I think that that is very very powerful there is a lot to really look into when you have that have that idea I have that curiosity
1: Yeah, um, this is uh, what I hear the, um, the Tohono O'odham people, the Navajo people, the Hopi people in Arizona, they call the water, not God, but creator. The water is that creates.
0: And I think there are many words for God. I think we, we all can understand that and appreciate that
1: mm-hmm.
0: creator is is one of the many. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my daughter, I, I did little interviews at one point with, with my children. But she's twelve going on like a hundred and nine. And um and one of the things that we asked her we were talking about this idea, do you think water's God? Um and um and so my son was saying, Oh, William, in this in this area people believe that God is this and, and this And he was trying to be very logical and she was like But what if it's like all the same thing? You know, what if it's just all the same thing and we've just given it different words and it's water labeling itself? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Because this idea in many ways is that water, if if, there's another way of putting that, what if water is expressing its consciousness through us and every living thing to observe itself from every different perceivable and imperceivable perspective? And in that realm then it's kind of like, well, that's a really interesting idea to be the observer of yourself through watching other people. Like you're observing me, I'm observing you. What is it that's observing? So it's kind of like we're seeing with our, through our water eyes, we're seeing the information is there and the scientists could say all the processes that are going on in this body about how we see each other. Um, But maybe we're more observing each other. Maybe we also have the ability to really observe ourselves and what we're going to do. What tributary are we going to take now to eventually get to source? But all things about water lead to source. But the other thing is that I think this is almost like the self-realization part is like when you realize that you are already part of source, you are already source, that means you're already there and you're on a journey and that's all. And that when you get to what we might term as source, then, I mean, it's a constant creation. Water is always in flow. It's always moving. It stagnates when it's still. So there is this constant movement within the space. So there, there's many, many views to look at it. But, um, but more and more, I think I've studied lots of different philosophies, lots of different religions, because I've always been interested in how people think and in what they believe, and figuring out what resonates for me, um, and I've been to India multiple times, I've traveled the world, I've spoken to many indigenous cultures, you know, I just think that's really simple, I think you just be a kind person, I, th- I think that, that really, and you f- finding your purpose is probably a greater thing to look for than to look for happiness. I think there's great greatness in having found purpose. And that purpose can be as big or small as it needs to be. But when you have purpose, it's the thing that gets you up in the morning to do the stuff you don't, might you know, if you're tired, and you, but you're still going to do it because there is a bigger picture involved. And I think as humans, we tend to work very well when we're and, and when we, when motivated by something that really gives us joy, that, that we know there's something bigger to this might meet the eye. And if we are water, and water is us, and it's the water that is the driving force of what this life is about is of of like finding love. You know, love. It's just a big thing. We all want to feel loved. We all want to feel seen. We all want to feel appreciated. I, I I feel that this is important because what is it? Like, what is what part of us identifies with this desire to feel loved? You know, if, if we, we, if you, bo- pardon the pun, you boil it down, we're liquid, solid, gas, and then a type of, oh, sorry. Yeah, we're liquid. We're, we're liquid, minerals, salts, and consciousness. Really, that's what we are made of. And that is a very interesting. How can those substances, all work. How do they work? So, if a person dies of natural causes, the brain is still there, the heart is still there, the organs are still there, everything is in place, everything is in place. But it's not working. Why isn't it working? What makes a body work? It's not just because you have the anatomy of a person, you have this spark of energy in you, this source, this life force in you. And so, I think that that life force is the spiritual aspect of water. And whether or not water and spirit or water and consciousness are the same or they are different, they are intimately intertwined to such a level that they behave as one.
1: Yeah, to my ears, it sounds like uh, that us communicating with water and coming from that, that she communicates through us back, that it's it's like this relation being this separation of or this il- illusion of separation shattered, and uh, and us giving our attention to her, then then she starts speaking through us.
0: Yeah, I, I always remember someone in India saying to me, you know, it's like we're walking around with umbrellas in the rain, and wa- and God or spirit or creator or the universe or whatever you like it's showering us all the time in love all the time showering in us in love and we have this umbrella up we only need to take away the umbrella and let ourselves be absolutely absorbed absorb all that beautiful like <laughs> energy that's showering upon us and i always liked that you know it's only just a matter of just doing a simple action it, it's it's the same with just perception. And, 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 you know, I think that understanding that everybody is at different places and there isn't a, a right or wrong, you know, our, our, we, we're, so, we're so quick to judge people. We don't know what people have been through. We just don't know, you know. And I think that, that the nature of compassion is very, very real in people. You know, I don't think there are that many people that are really mean and horrible. And, and and I think we're the we're often the most mean and horrible to ourselves I think it's got to start with us one of the wonderful things that I've learned um is a my, my teacher in India you know he would say some of the greatest saints and people and um, that have ever walked the earth you know their energy has healed spontaneously healed um people that they will never meet because it has reached so far around the world, if we simply allow ourselves to be a, a vessel of divine love, um, that that then is really kind of like what water is doing. Water is filling us with this massive potential to just tap into this divine love of the, what we are. And that will reach so many people. It's It's exactly the same with the last test I did with egg albumin, Um, I've always been interested in different fluids. And so I thought, well, if any water is going to be naturally informed, it would be amniotic fluid. But since that's not readily available for me, um, I used egg albumin, uh, which is egg white, and it's a part of the egg white. So there's a gloopy gelatinous part, and then there's this thinner part that's more like saliva. I freeze that, and I've identified that there are six patterns that form in healthy free-range eggs. Only two of those patterns can form from cage ten eggs, and those patterns start to degrade the older the egg is. So I put did this test where I put a free range egg in the middle and surrounded it by um, cage ten eggs. And what was interesting is that I did controls so that the you know you know the patterns that they that the batches formed. Um, And because I've done so many thousands of these tests, I know the patterns. I've never seen more than six patterns. I know what they are. So I took the free-range egg, put it in the middle, surrounded by caged-in eggs, and left them overnight, and then did the crystallography for them all. The free-range hen egg looked exactly the same. It held all its beautiful patterns, saw them all there, looked exactly like I would imagine it would too. What was fascinating is that, By proximity, there was a healing that happened. The the cage 10 eggs that surrounded the free-range eggs that were closest to the free-range egg, their structures had improved so significantly that it looked very much like a free-range egg. The eggs that were further away had improved, but not as significantly. So I repeated that test and the same results happened. Now, what we're seeing there, if you put it into human terms, is that if you heal yourself, you help heal others. So I think that sometimes we have these hopes that everybody's going to have the same idea at the same time, and then there'll be a mass change. But the change always has to start with us. If we just work on ourselves, even if it's just through setting intention in the morning, not intention of what to do, because that—that's a that's a very... That's a thing that you can do. You just write a list of things you can do, but more an intention of how you want to be. And when I asked a bunch of children separately what they would set as an intention, if they had to set an intention in the morning, I was so shocked that independent children said the same exact thing. They said to be kind to people. And I think that that's a reflection of just what we all want really is, is, is to be kind, people to be kind to us and for us to be kind to them. And I don't really think that uh, there is too much more complication around that. And I think that, that, that real truths are actually very simple, not, 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 not complicated. We, 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 you know, there's so much information in the world right now, especially with in the last few years, there is so much information. Then people have been some, so confused. This one lady was on my ma- my beginner's workshop where I teach the technique, and she, she's allowed me to share this. I just don't share her name, but she um, she got two of the same hydroglyph, the living glyph, which also means gratitude, which also means death. Its most predominant meaning is living, but I've but what was interesting is that she got these two glyphs, and I told her the meanings just like I told you. She was only in her 20s, I think, early 20s. And I said, you know, water just doesn't, like I said, doesn't view death in the same way that we do. And she just, she started to cry. And I'm like, oh, they're okay. You know, there's only ever 20 people on my workshops, so I keep them small. So she was in a nice environment, but she said, you know, over the last few years, I felt like I can't trust anyone, any any people. I can't trust them. I don't know who to trust. I feel confused and she said for the first time i feel like i've been seen and heard she said i was on the brink of either living or dying she was planning on taking her life and she said that water showed her exactly how she was feeling that knew her on such an intimate level beyond what anyone else knew it cracked something up in her and she felt seen and i think such a big part of, of what it is to be human is to also feel seen and it seems to be this way with water that that, that profound things can come from from diving into this work even my children have taught me something amazing they, um, they uh, would start eating the crystallography after I had finished it and they, when it was still in form and they'd be eating it and I'd be like what are you doing and Shanti would say oh it's good for me mummy and then just on the times where they felt that they wanted to eat it, they'd come and they'd eat the crystallography or they'd do it themselves and make their own medicine. So I, I, I was curious about that. And, um, I, I, you know, I'm interested in patterns, obviously is one of what I do. And so with people that are working with me, that many of them are parents and they said, you know, my children are eating the crystallography. And I'm like, really, cause might've been doing that for years. So I've put that away and think that was very interesting. And then my, my husband, who's very, uh, was doing a whole study on plant medicines using words and using my crystallographic method, so he, he, he knew about the ice eating thing. And so he uh, was writing a word for, for a whole week. He'd do a whole study on one word. And so for this one week, he was using the word ayahuasca. And he would eat the ice afterwards. And I don't know how many times he ate the ice that week. It was all quite a lot. And by the end of the week he genuinely came to me and said, you know, I I think I need to take this a little seriously. Cuz he was starting to get very subtle experiences of what uh I mean, of what an ayahuasca journey might feel like. And from there, and learning that, um I've started to share all of this. And now after a year of sharing about eating ice, we're getting quite a number of people sharing their stories with me. Um around how they've been writing words. And I always say the word will well up out of the well of knowledge inside of you. It might not even make sense as to what it is um, that you're wanting to heal from or whatever it is you're wanting to do, but it knows your intention. And so um, people who have had insomnia have wrote, written the word rest and eaten the ice for like 10 days and started to sleep for the first time in a long time. Um, the, the longest study I've had is a lady called, um, uh sarah i think is she is it sarah or i am i not remembering rachel sorry rachel tudor and she um she spoke on one of my master classes and she'd had some vaccine injuries she wanted to heal naturally and she she tried all kinds of stuff that hadn't worked and somehow she stumbled upon my beginner's workshop and she started to write the word connection and she used that word for a few months um She did this for six months using words that came out of her. and She used it as almost like a spiritual practice each morning. She'd she'd do this process. And after the six months, she reached out and she said, I'm cured, like I'm completely better of all of these different things that were wrong with me. And um, she said, I really believe that it's not only eating the ice, but by doing the crystallography and seeing the beauty of it, there is, and knowing that this is designed for you by this force of life, you know, there is something in that. It's like communicating with God every day, or, or Creator every day, and, and, and for her that's what it was like, and what it is like, because she still does it, and for her it's just taught her so much about what herself, about like her own, not learning to trust her own intuition, um and the power of water
1: beautiful thank you for that uh getting to the last question uh, i o- i always ask the same question in the end and um if water had anything to say to us what would she say to us um
0: It's funny because I see waters talking all the time, saying so many different things. Um, but you know, I, I think, I think it's water wants to be seen now more than ever. I, I think that water is 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 saying, "See me, I'm here." Because I think just as we want to be seen, water is this time in our history now showing that it can be. Uh, understood we can we can we can communicate with water and like I am literally seeing communication happening on a very very intimate incredibly sophisticated level but there's such simplicity in it and so within that 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 very profound and big question I think there are many many answers that would come from it but I think one of them would, would is water is now more than ever before wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard. And I think that as we do that, as we see and hear water, not just in the hearing with our ears, but in the hearing with the, within the water within us, we'll hear the noises within uh, that water makes. We'll hear the voice of water within us. And, and it's, I think, more than ever, for anything new to happen, we have to hear something new. We have to feel something new and we have to see ourselves. By water saying, see me, it's not just about looking at water sources, but it's also about seeing the water inside of you. You know, there is something that needs, that is a mirror. Water is like a mirror and there is a deep, pure, clear mirror wall, a mirror, mirror like a, a wall, but like mirror of water within us that we can look into where there is deep, knowledge and, and, and peace. And I think that, that it's bringing us back to to, to being able to see ourselves in, in real truth, you know, not just in the ways that make common sense maybe, but, but a way in which will shift us in, in, in new ways. I think that much of what I've learned, all of what I've learned about water, has come from the fact that I've started to see water and I've seen the water inside of me. And it kind of gives you inspired thought. So these new thoughts start coming into your mind, start just kind of coming out of you, and then you start going, oh, well, maybe if I do this, or what if I try this, or what if I try this, you know? I think there are new thoughts and ideas that are ready to come out, to be re- to to birth out of us, and they come from the water and the it, and that's where I think some big positive changes can really be. But ultimately, I think it's also just about being kind. Now, it's such a simple thing. But just being a nice person goes a really, really long way. And, and to staying out of judgment as much as possible. I mean, I'm a body of water as well. And so I know that water speaks through me just as it speaks through all of us. We all have common things and that we want to feel in the world, we want to feel loved and we want to feel heard, you know, we want to feel seen, if we could just apply those things to the fact that water would like the same thing, I think that, that, that water can be the mouthpiece for nature, We're pretty sure that our pets, our, our animals, our, our, our trees, they all want the same thing too,
1: so it's very basic, but I, I think it's powerful. Thank you, Veda. I really appreciate what you do, and uh, it's uh, really beautiful to see your uh, relation with water and the way you lead by example, and uh, and how you can through that uh, affect other relatives, other people, and uh, and it's truly beautiful. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much.